Welcome to Back to the Vax. I'm your host, Lydia Green, and Heather Simpson is here today. Hey, Heather. Hello. <laughs> um, so, yeah, me and Lydia were talking right before we we started recording, and I was, <laughs> we were cracking up. So, um, we, back in the day, I, you know, I used to be the worst, and I had, like, you know, I had a ton of people hate me for good reason. And one of them in particular, who is now my friend, <laughs> I ran across his insult that he left on Charlotte, go in the other room. I ran across his insult that he left on my page. And um, I am dying right now because it's so funny. So it says I would rather or I would go for the married ones, ones in hospice or Bat S-H-I-T crazy ones first, then gay, then be a monk, then have a long-term emotional relationship with my dog, and then Heather, but only with the lights off, semi-comatose, and only for procreation. So I had taken that horrible insult, and then I put the little clip from, I think it's Dumb and Dumber, where he says, so you're telling me there's a chance? (laughs) Anyway, I just, I ran across it today, (laughs) and it makes me laugh, because man... Provaxers were creative back then. That's, yeah. I <laughs> wasn't quite outspoken on social media, so I didn't have these, like, you know, love-hate relationships with people. But, uh, yeah, that is super funny. And I just think it's weird now how there were people that were very pro-vax that I was like, that guy's a shill or whatever. And now I just love, like, Paul Offit. Uh-huh. is such a sweet man and i cannot really believe i cannot believe how much i did not like him and I know. <laughs> same with um oh who am i thinking of now dory yeah yeah she was uh, a lot she was she's you can go back on mothering and see how they mention her and um mm-hmm. senator um richard pan Oh, oh man. man and he is such a nice guy he really is he really cares about kids and you know, I'm not too crazy about most politicians, but I think he's actually a pretty decent politician and um, definitely, you know, cares about the health of our children and public health care. So, yeah, yeah. No, I would love to have him on. Like he is. I thought he was the worst. I mean, I thought Dr. Offit was the worst. I thought Dorit was probably the worst. I didn't know much to go off of except for everyone around me hated her. And now yeah. we're, it's so sad. Like. These people are so nice. You know, this guy that left the comment, he's actually a really nice person. But, you know, <laughs> when they're they are faced with constant um, ridiculousness from the anti-vax mm-hmm. world. And so, I mean, I've never seen Dr. Offit lash out at anyone. I've never seen Dorit lash out. Like, they're very graceful to handle I, what they do. I, so I don't have as much patience even though I try and I'm always complimenting Dorit. I'm like, how do you do it? I'm trying to be more like you. How do you do it? <laughs> you know? Cause she's just so Zen in the face of like, yes, a horrible anti-Semitic comment. Like I'm like, how do you, how do you stay so cool? <laughs> I don't okay. know. It's, it's amazing. And she's so logical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She owns people. Like she just, owns the argument, shuts them down, and does so without swearing. Yeah, without <laughs> swearing. 
Oh my god. She does not <laughs> swear even when they call her like horrible anti-semitic names. She's just yeah. I, I definitely admire Dory. She's never in Facebook jail, which is probably something that we all need to learn how to mm-hmm. stay out of Facebook jail. Be like Dory. Speaking yeah. of Facebook jail, I'll never forget the time I got put in Facebook jail for for three days because I said to someone, they were claiming credentials like anti-vaxxers like to do. Like she was like, I worked in a pharmaceutical business or whatever, like just some lame claim of credential to add, you know, some kind of significance to their anti-vax views. And I was like, listen, stop. Nobody on the internet knows your dog. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I said and I put that cute funny meme where it's like a dog at a computer and Facebook suspended me for three days they're, mm. so I don't know what's wrong with their algorithm because it was like a instant suspension so I think yeah. it, the algorithm picked up you're a dog and like suspended me yeah, it had to. I mean, their algorithm is so off. Like, they don't let us use the word vax on our page. Here you go, baby. Yep. Sorry. They don't let us use the word vax on back to the vax. So our page is back to the facts. And it's just weird that they yeah. don't let us. Um. So who do we have on today, Heather? We have Dr. McAlpine, but he likes to be called Al for Alistair, his first name, or I guess Al or Alistair. And so he is a pediatric um, infectious disease specialist up in Canada where you are. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, not where you are, but, you know, it's the a general nation. <laughs> the country. Not, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I need more coffee. You know, they struggle for words lately too. I'm like, I I need a thesaurus. <laughs> I don't know how to talk. Yeah. Anymore. Same here. Same here. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. He he's really cool. He's the one. I wanna pull it up real quick. We shared on Back to the Facts um a tweet that I loved of his. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Let me just pull it up. It's right here. You'd think I would be prepared for this, but I'm not. Okay. He says, a village has 100 people, 99 of them vaccinated. One is not. Two people become sick with COVID, one of whom is the unvaccinated person. Media. 50% of cases occurred in the vaccinated. This is what we're seeing, and it's irresponsible reporting. And I just thought, wow, that is so Good, because I'm so tired of people saying, well, the vaccine doesn't work. Like, I, I'm seeing COVID cases. That's not how they sound. but <laughs> That's how they sound. That's sure. how they sound to me. And so <laughs> I, wa- I want to say this is why. Like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's uh, bring him on. All right. Yay. Today, our guest is Dr. McAlpine, Dr. Alistair McAlpine. Um, He is an infectious disease pediatric doctor. Uh, Welcome. And can you tell us a bit about yourself, Alistair? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, And thank you for your wonderful initiative. Uh, Yeah, so my name is Alistair. I'm a pediatric infectious diseases doc, uh, originally born and bred in South Africa, um, Johannesburg and then moved to Cape Town. 
where I did most of my medical training. And then I came to beautiful Canada um, to, to further specialize in pediatric infectious diseases. And that was about three years ago. Uh, and I find myself still here today and, and, and falling in love with this beautiful place. So that's kind of my story. And because I, I, I do infectious diseases and I do children, I'm obviously a, a very big fan of vaccines because, uh, in my opinion, that is the best way to, to keep children safe and healthy. Perfect. We've seen a little uh, bit about you on the internet and what caused you to gain a little popularity. I was reading your tweets on being a palliative care physician for a while, and that was just so touching. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I did that before I did infectious diseases. Yeah. And I think it's uh, informed a lot of my my views on, on life and on medicine. Yeah, that would definitely give you some insights for sure. So we invited you to talk about COVID and children today. Um, just yeah, to not lead controversial off. at all. No, no. <laughs> um, at a, so our first question is, what is the latest estimate on the vaccine for kids under 12? I keep hearing different timelines for that. Yeah, that is a great question. And I, and I think the, the most honest answer I can give is I don't think anyone is sure. Um, as you right. say, there are, <clears throat> there are rumblings and murmurings. Um, currently, at my understanding, is that the vaccine is still in the trial phase, and that uh, both Pfizer and Moderna have not actually applied yet for an EUA, um, an emergency use authorization from the FDA. Um, mm -hmm. There's rumblings that that may they may apply quite soon. Um, the most optimistic estimates I have heard is that maybe by fall or the end of fall. But I think a more realistic timeline, to be honest, is probably by the end of 2021. Okay. Wow. But I think no one, no one knows, no one knows for sure, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. No one knows for sure. Is it just me, or does it feel like the testing for children is taking longer than the testing for teens and adults? Is that because they're more careful regarding children, or is that just me having my timelines all off? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Another great question. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, okay. I'm not 100% sure exactly when all this happened. I think, you know, when it comes to, to vaccines and to kids, the researchers have to be really careful that skip that steps aren't skipped, that all the I's okay. are dotted, that all the T's are crossed, because gotcha. these are these are so heavily scrutinized. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, that they want to make sure that they're doing it right because the blowback would just be incredible if, if, if it turned out that, that, that something had happened and that the, the proper process had not been followed. So right. I think that they are purposefully not rushing it because they know how important it is to get everything right. So I think they're going as fast as they can, but they right. also just have to do all, the, do all the things. That's good. I mean, that makes me feel more comfortable with it, just knowing that they're doing everything possible mm -hmm. um, to make sure it's definitely safe. So um, as far as COVID in children, are there any concerns of long-term side effects? Um, I heard there may be some neurological concerns. What are you kind of seeing with longer side effects of getting the COVID infection? 
Yeah, another great question. And, you know, to be honest, it's, it's actually not been particularly well studied. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a big study that came out in the Lancet Medical Journal, um, which is obviously UK-based and was looking at a UK cohort of children. And that came out a couple weeks ago. And um, I think th- there was both reassuring and slightly alarming news from that study. Um, the good news that we've always known is that the vast majority of children will likely have a very mild course with COVID. Um, okay. We have been very lucky. And that, and that the vast majority will have mild symptoms and will make a full recovery. And what the study showed was that at 28 days, uh, 4.4% had some kind of a residual symptom. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. And then mm. at 56 days, which is kind of when they stopped following, 1.8%. Okay. So, so, I mean, those and those are pretty good numbers. But when you start to think, well, what happens if millions and millions of children start getting infected, those low percentages, unfortunately, start to add up. Right. Um, in that study, the, the big sort of residual symptoms that they found was mostly persistent headache, um, mm-hmm. weakness and fatigue, um, funky or loss of smell, um, you know, a sore throat. Fortunately, severe neurological side effects, which we have heard anecdotal reports about, were not really noted. Um yeah. Yeah, which is which is which is good, um, and so yeah, it it seems like overall kids still handle COVID infections really well, but there will be a percentage that will have persistent symptoms, and of course, the other thing we just don't know is how many of the that one point eight percent will have really long symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard adults describing brain fog and. Mm weakness and so you know we will we don't have the data for that yet yeah so it's 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 both good and bad news i guess you know and overall kids do well but a small number of them are gonna have persistent symptoms uh going forward okay so uh, on that topic of stats i've seen other um studies that show like that I've seen the study with the 4.4%, but then I saw another one that looked a little worse than that. Like, how do we know? Like, I just don't, there's so much information out there. I just don't know, understand how do we under know which one is more accurate in terms of the, the statistics. It's such a great, it's such a great question, you know, and, and we have just been, bombarded with information from COVID. I I was reading somewhere, someone said that if you were to read every study that had been published on COVID since the pandemic began, it would take like years to get through them all. So so there's just this tsunami of information and it can be really difficult. And to give you an idea, it's it's difficult for experts to to, to wade our way through all of it. So so for, for the public and for lay people, I can't even imagine I think generally my my recommendation is that there are some signs that you can go for that aren't foolproof but you know may 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 help you and the first would be where has the information come from you know has it been published in a reputable journal or has it come from a Facebook page and a meme um right yeah. reputable journals are not immune to bad science you know the Lancet had the whole surgesphere debacle so 
just because it's in a good journal doesn't make it a good study. But generally speaking, if it comes from a reputable journal, that's a good sign. Um, and then you have to look at, you know, what kind of study was performed, you know, what was the sample size, who were the researchers, and how good was the how good was the study? And that's, to be honest, where I often defer to the really smart people I follow on Twitter, the epidemiologists and the researchers mm-hmm. who are good at interpreting these things. Because I'm, I'm a clinician, you know, I, I, I read studies, but I'm not an expert at the end of the day at really teasing them out. So I, yeah. I listen to the people I trust to see what they say and, and, and usually follow what, 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 what they recommend and, um, and, and go by that. But at the end of the day, it can be really, really difficult. And it's one of the great, I think, questions of our time. You know, how do we know which information to trust and which mm-hmm. to reject? And it's, it's, a, it's, a, whew, it's a tough question. Yeah, like I'm terrified. My, I'm terrified to send my son to school because we don't have mask mandates and we're not contact mm-hmm. tracing. I don't know if you've heard about how Alberta is approaching COVID right now. And so when I read all these different studies trying to decide whether to send my boy to school or not, it's overwhelming. I've decided to homeschool at this point until hopefully the vaccine is available or, you know, late fall or Christmas time or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to know, to estimate the danger. My son also has autism. So I'm taking that into account that maybe if he got long COVID, he would not tolerate it well with his sensory Mm -hmm. issues. Right. But yeah, it's it's a really hard choice for me and all parents right now to go through the information and make a choice that's best for their situation. Super hard. And, and if you were to get a whole bunch of ID docs in the room together and ask them that question, there, mm-hmm. there probably wouldn't even be consensus amongst ourselves. Some of us mm-hmm. would agree, some would disagree. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's the messiness of science. We don't... Sometimes we just don't have a really clear answer and people have Mm -hmm. to just go with the best information they have and make the decision that's right for them. Yeah. So um, this is kind of off of that, but I did have a question. Um, We had a COVID exposure um, at my child's very, very small birthday party. And I've been trying to figure out what that looks like, because I know a lot of people who are exposed at school are going to have this question. How long, if you've had a direct exposure, should you quarantine you and your child? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, a lot would depend. And we're assuming that, 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 that people are an, an unvaccinated child, right? Someone under, yes. under, under 11. My, or... my four-year-old is unvaccinated for COVID. Yeah, obviously. Um, right. It's oh you know it's a it's 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 a really tough one and the answer probably is it depends every authority has its own recommendations right. certainly in Canada public health is recommending an isolation usually of ten days okay mm-hmm. many hospitals are recommending fourteen days okay. so it's probably between those two numbers okay. uh, if you have an unvaccinated person with a high risk exposure that's usually where you're going to, that's usually the amount of time that you're going to need to quarantine. All right. Which is painful, you know? It is for little kids, you know, that especially I imagine pulling them out of school and things like that. That's really, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think that, that, that I'm not defending it because I disagree with it, but I think that informs part of Alberta's plan to stop the testing. So mm-hmm. that they don't have to actually face these kind of decisions uh, because no, it's, you're only yeah, being you're exactly. only being tested if you're sick. So, yeah. I, I, and I, I emphasize, I, I disagree with Alberta's plan 
but mm-hmm. I think that that was kind of the understanding behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. Um, and then, so if our child um, comes down with COVID, how do we take care of them? Um, what can we do? What are some signs that we should go ahead and take them in to see a doctor? Um, yes. So what we know is that COVID has a slightly different presentation than it does with adults in terms of the symptoms. And what's weird about COVID is that it can present in so many different ways. Um, the common things that tend to affect most people is a fever and then some kind of upper respiratory type symptoms. So usually a cough. Uh, that's Those are very common. And then we know that, that the younger the child, the more likely they are to have things like abdominal symptoms. So a sore tummy, maybe a rash. Um, okay. They can have, you know, headaches, um, weird smells like adults, you know, this whole uh, anosmia, which basically means losing your sense of smell. Um, but what's so weird, and, and we also know that a lot of kids will have no symptoms at all. Um, and be completely asymptomatic. So, you know, it really range, yeah. runs the full gamut. And I think the recommendation would be that as there is no real cure for COVID at the moment, unfortunately, mild mild COVID can just be managed at home by just, you know, giving Tylenol or Advil to, to, to deal with the fever and kind of managing, managing the symptoms as is. But if okay. your child is sick... Uh, and distressed, and you would be taking them to hospital anyway, right. you should not delay. If they need medical care and the parent is concerned, they should not delay because they're worried about the COVID status. So if, okay. if your child is, if you are concerned in any way about the, the, the health of your child and you feel that they need to see an emergency doctor or a pediatrician, then please go and go and seek the relevant help and don't hold back because you're worried about the COVID situation. But there isn't, there isn't a, a clear sign um, that would say, well, this is definitely, you know, COVID. It would be the usual stuff. If your child is struggling to breathe, if they're right. looking particularly lethargic, if they are struggling to eat or drink, if, you know, they're, they're difficult to rouse, anything like that, please call an ambulance or, or go to the emergency room immediately. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, I have one more question. Uh, what is, do you have any tips for our children as they head back to school to prevent, manage? Um, and what are your thoughts on mask mandates in terms of kids like do you think it'll make a difference in terms of infection with delta yeah you guys asked ask all the good questions um so i think it's unfair to it's so weird i think there's very little that we can say to the kids themselves um to, to reduce their chances because i don't think it, it, it shouldn't really be up to the kids the adults should be taking mm-hmm. care of this right um, uh, yeah <laughs> i'm a big believer that i think that schools should be doing everything in their power. So first of all, I'm a big believer that where possible, we should be sending kids to school uh, because missing school is is not good for their health. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I, I think that we should only be sending kids to school if it's actually safe for them to go to school. Um, and so I think that what we should be doing is making schools as safe as possible so that we can get the kids to schools. And I think that that would include things like improved ventilation in the classrooms, 
social distancing in the classrooms, um, you know, air purifiers in the classrooms. I honestly believe that masking children is not a form of child abuse or oppression. I, I think mm-hmm. most children tolerate masks really well. Um, right. and, and, and I really do believe that it works. Obviously, there right. are exceptions, um, but I think generally speaking, I would support masking up, masking up the kids, yeah. making the classrooms as absolutely as safe as possible. And ultimately, when the vaccine becomes available, vaccinating them all. And, and, and personally speaking, I would mandate that all teachers and staff at schools have to be vaccinated. I just don't think... I don't you see can why, have, why not have, at this point. Yeah, you can have people around children who are unvaccinated. It, it's, it, it, it's nuts. Yeah. So it is, yeah. Those are kind of the things that I would I would do. I would say our, our job is to try our best to make the make school as safe as possible for the kids. And each of the yeah. things that I've mentioned is not perfect, but added together hopefully creates a safe environment. My daughter is going to school. She is uh, 13 and vaccinated. And her issue is not wearing a mask. And it never has been, even though she wears glasses and it drives her nuts. Um, Her issue is worrying about being the only kid wearing a mask because now there's no mandate. She she wants to set an example and wear a mask to protect her siblings, you know, that can't be vaccinated and just the anxiety is there to be like, well, if everyone else isn't, then, you know, I'm going to be alone in my sensibility, (laughs) you know, like it's And this is is what I was talking about. Like, I don't, I really don't feel that this should be your daughter's burden to manage. I know. Um, And that's what it is for these kids, right? Yeah. And, And I think, you know, that when you're 13, certainly when I was 13, all I wanted to do was fit in. Yeah, uh, I, I did not want to be right. the odd one out. So I, I, I applaud her bravery. I think that's amazing. And I'm sad yeah. that the adults have put her in that position. Honestly, as I said, if it was up to me, I would have, especially in the absence of vaccines for everybody, I would have a, a mask mandated schools. I would have improved ventilation at schools. And I would say that everyone who could be vaccinated should be vaccinated. And, and I think honestly, that's the bare minimum. Yeah, the rate for her age group going in uh, this year for vaccination is um, uh, 32%. So like 30, she is of 32%. So like, that's why she wants to wear a mask because she knows Delta. Well, she hears me talk about vaccines all the time. She's aware that Delta is a bit more contagious and can, there is a risk of breakthrough infection. So she's wanting to wear her mask, but I've also made it clear, like, hey, your mental health matters. And, you know, like you say, it's not a burden you should bear. And if you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask all the time, you know, feel free to take it off. You are vaccinated. And I do have a lot of faith in the vaccine, but it's hard that she has to even think about this, you know, in the first place. Totally. And it makes me upset that the adults have put her in that position. Yeah. It's sad. Well, yeah. So that was, uh, that's all I have for questions. Heather, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, this has been so informative and awesome. Thank you for letting us ask all of these questions. Oh, sure. You're most welcome. And like I say, you know, part of the, part of the goal really is we want to get as many, we all want the pandemic to, to end, you know, however that may be. And, and in my opinion, that only happens when as many people as possible get vaccinated. So thank you for your efforts to do that. And I hope that if anyone is listening to this, 
that hopefully they may change their minds. If they have any questions, they're welcome to get hold of me on social media. Um, and yeah, and I, and I, you know, we, we, unfortunately, every time we've tried to predict where the pandemic is going, it's, it's made us look like fools. Um, but you're right. Delta is scary. It's contagious. And um, the best protection against death and hospitalization is, is unquestionably getting the vaccine. Yeah. Right. I will be getting my children vaccinated when it's their turn. Absolutely. My daughter already is. And it was a no brainer. I just got it as soon. The first day in our province, they let her age group have it. She got it. And uh, the same will be for my other two children. And I really think that's the way out of the pandemic too. I don't have any kids, but you know, I have, I have um, two beautiful nieces and I would recommend they're, they're both very young, both actually less than five at this stage, so they wouldn't be eligible. But I would recommend to any friends and family with any children uh, that they should vaccinate their kids. And if I had any, I would vaccinate them myself. Um, so, you know, it's it, to, to me, I, I'm with you guys. I, I really feel that when you look at the overall risk and benefits, it's an absolute no brainer. Right. Yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting. All of the doctors and specialists we've interviewed uh, vaccinate their children and recommend other people do the same. It's it's almost like there's a major consensus among you guys. Yeah, and, and I mean pediatricians, <laughs> we all vaccinate our kids, and yeah. so you know we, we 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 walk what we talk, you know, and um, and so and, and it's because we we really do believe that they work, and uh, I receive no uh, not a cent from any pharmaceutical companies to, to say any of this stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we spread the information because we really believe we believe in it and we want to keep our kids and everybody else's kids safe. And that's really our only motivation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today. Uh, you have a great day. Thank you yes, so thank much. You, you guys so as much. well. Right. Bye okay. now. Bye. <clears throat>